Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and uh, access those and go to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to focus the majority of our teaching time today. You ever, uh, you ever made something more complicated than it needs to be? Uh, growing up, uh, my granddad, my brother, my father, they loved to fish. It was one of their favorite things to do. It was a very calming thing. They would love to go out on a boat and, you know, take a line and throw it out and, like, sit there and have a cold drink and reel in, and there's a fish. I did not find joy in fishing. For whatever reason, whenever I tried to fish, I would, it would become very complex and complicated. I would try to bait the, the hook, and I would drop the bait, or I would hook my finger, or I would get the line all twisted around me. I remember one time I was fishing, I finally got everything on there, and they were trying to show me how to push the button and throw the rod, and I literally threw it into the water. Like, I thought I knew exactly what I was doing, and I just threw the whole rod and reel into the water. Probably more times than I count, I hooked the person behind me. Uh, it was not a fun thing for me. I would look at somebody fishing. I'd look at my brother and he would be so calm and peaceful and enjoying, and I would just be upset and angry, like, this is not, what am I missing here? And the truth is, we do this in our Christian lives as well. Sometimes we look at somebody and we're like, man, that person just got it figured out. Man, they know how to love God. They know how to do this Christian life. But man, my day is crazy. My spiritual life is so complex. I'm trying to figure out who God is, how he relates to me, how my life interacts with other people, how to interact with this circumstance. What does this truth mean? Somebody told me this. I'm trying to figure out how all these puzzle pieces fit together. And what I want to tell you this morning is this. is The original way that God intended for us to interact with him is in a very uncomplicated manner. And what we do sometimes is we add religion into the mix. And we start creating rules. We start drawing lines. We start making boundaries of who's in and who's out. And we create this complicated religious system where we actually value more external behaviors than what's actually happening on the inside of us. And a few weeks ago, we started this series of trying to unravel this religiosity and get back to the very uncomplicated way of approaching Jesus and living our Christian lives. And and when we looked back and said, you know what, Jesus did not come. So to make our lives more complicated, more stressful, busier, or hectic, he actually came to do the exact opposite. And we talked about how he came to set us free, how he led us to walk in freedom. And this is how we want to operate as a church as well. New City Church has no desire to be a religious organization that's keeping tabs on who's following what rules, who's in and who's out, who's in consuming your life with activities that actually minimize your impact for the gospel. We want to be a simple, uncomplicated church that helps each of us experience and share the grace and peace of Jesus Christ with other people. And two weeks ago, we laid the groundwork. For this, And we talked about some different things, some, some words that we were, some words that we weren't, but we really focused on this idea, and we started with this idea of this one focus that we have as a church, according to Scripture. This was not my idea. This wasn't a vote that we took as a church in our early days and said, what are we going to focus on? This focus came from Scripture, and it's a very simple focus. It's found throughout Scripture from the very early books all the way through the end, and it's this idea that we're to love God and love people. 
That's it. That's the focus of the church. This is our calling. If you want to follow Christ, you must love God and love others. And I want to dive into this thought just a little deeply, more deeply today, because it's going to set the groundwork for our teaching and what we want to do today. Because this is a nice statement, right? Love God, love others. Boy, that sounds good. Let's do that, right? We intellectually agree with that. But the truth is, when we try to live this out, it becomes a little bit more complicated. It's not as easy as it sounds. I love the word love, right? I want people to love me. I want to have things in my life that I love. I'd, I'd love for that to happen. I just love to use the word love, right? I mean, we're just, we throw it rolls off of our tongues. Like, just because we say it, we do it. But that's not the case, is it? What happens here, this, this idea, is Jesus gives us these two lenses that we're to interact with all of life with. These two views, and it is to love God and love people. The lens of God allows us to approach this world and our circumstances with an attitude of worship and gratitude. When we really begin to seek to love God, worship and gratitude boil up in our life and begin to overflow. When we really begin to look through the lens of loving others, the attitude of honor and respect begin to bubble up in our lives. And we look at people and we start seeing them as creations of God and we start honoring them and respecting them. And I want to be very honest with you. This week, I tried knowing where I was going on this Sunday's teaching. I said, I'm going to do my best to walk through this week loving God and loving people. I'm going to try to put this lens. I used to wear glasses. It was like literally I'd wake up in the morning and I was like, I'm going to put these glasses on and I'm going to walk through this life doing this. And then I got to the subway. (laughs) And then I met people. And then things went wrong in my life, and I quickly failed. I mean, it was like all of a sudden, you know, you get that something happens to you. What do you do? You take your glasses off, and you're like, hmm, that's exactly what I did. Like, something would come into my life, and I was like, I'm going to take these lenses off and look at it through my eyes. I was like, what's this person think they're doing? Why don't they get out of my way? You know, if God loved me, why didn't he make that train wait another 10 seconds? Like, you know, and immediately, here's what I did. I realized when I took these lenses, how quickly I would take these lenses off. Intellectually, I was still walking through life. I'm loving God, loving people. But man, I would pop those off and be like, you know what? I want to love God and love people, but I want God and people to love me first. Like once they show me, once they prove it to me, then I'll pour it back out of them. And I found myself so easily and subtly shifting from saying, I'm going to love God and love people to saying, why aren't people loving me? And why isn't God showing me love this week? And I would get off track. And I learned how difficult it was this week to actually put foot to motion, to actually say and do what I said I wanted to do. And it it drove me to this question, you know, why aren't God and others doing something to, to make me feel loved? Why am I the one that has to walk through this life loving God and loving others? And the amp- answer is simple. You don't have to. You can choose not to. You can literally, and every day we do, choose to walk through this life not loving God and not loving people, not putting on these lenses. But here's what I found this week, and here's what I think Scripture teaches us as well. But when I, as a follower of Christ, choose not to love God and not to love others, 
I'm actually abandoning the best vehicle I have to, to navigate this life. This idea of loving God, of having worship and honor and respect and gratitude be the, be the wheels of the vehicle that get me through this life. And I stop and I take these lenses off. I'm actually abandoning. I'm getting out of the best vehicle I have to get through these trials and difficulties in my life. You see, no matter what circumstance I face or how difficult a person comes into my life, choosing to walk in love that brings worship, gratitude, honor, and respect into my life allows me not just to survive these challenges, it allows me to thrive in them. All of a sudden, difficulties don't steal my hope. All of a sudden, you know, entitlements that others have about themselves don't steal my peace. Pain doesn't rob me of my pleasure, and mistakes don't diminish my meaning. I stay in the vehicle. When I choose to love God and love others, I'm choosing to go through this life the way God intended. When I take those lenses off, I step out of the vehicle, and I get out. Walking in love is the key. Choosing to walk with a love for God and a love for others is the key. Now, if that's the key, how do we do it? If it's so easy for us to fail, how do we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to focus on today is this idea of how do we let this love grow in us? Two weeks ago, we introduced four words that we talk about as a church, the ways that we participate. If you, if you regularly come to this church, we talked about four words that help you participate with us. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first word, which was serve. Michael mentioned earlier, we're, we're not asking people to serve out of guilt, to, to sign up and put your name on a list, to, to do something so that you're like, okay, I checked it off. I'm not going to feel guilty anymore. Patrick's not going to look at me weird because I'm not serving anywhere. Like, that's not what we're about, all right? So that's, it's not out of guilt. It's out of this idea that we all are gifted in different ways, and when we work together, we are actually being the best representation of Christ we can to this world as we serve together, even in our differences. Last week, we talked about the word join, of actually doing life together. And we kind of modeled that in our brunch Bible study, right? We sat around a table. We had conversations. We just did life together. And I challenge you as a congregation to, like, find somebody that you don't know well and just take the next step relationally with them. You don't have to become best friends. You don't have to do dinner every Friday night together. But just take a next step in, like, connecting and joining your life. So we talked about that, and we don't do that to invade your life, to like con- create these controls of your life. We do it so that we actually have companionship and camaraderie to walk through this life. And today we're talking about this third word that we're talking about as we try to grow our love, and it's the word grow. Now, for many of us, when I think about growing as a follower of Christ, we think about tasks, all right? So if I'm going to grow, i got to start doing some more things. Like, I, I guess that means I'm going to need to read my Bible more. I need to start praying more. I need to start showing up to church more. Maybe I should start journaling. Maybe I should take notes during the sermon. Maybe I should memorize scripture. I don't know. But I, if I'm going to grow, i got to do more stuff. i got to do more tasks. But tasks don't equal growth. Tasks equal work. Tasks don't always equal growth. Sometimes they help, but growth is just as much a mental mindset as it is what we do. 
So instead of saying, I want you to do more tasks today, there's one thing if I want you to walk out of here thinking today is this. I want you to make a commitment to grow, to grow. Let's look at how Paul describes us in Philippians. So if you've got your Bibles, Philippians 1, verses 9 through 10, I'm going to read these couple of verses. It said, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So when we as a church talk about growth, we mean that you should grow in your ability to love. If our calling, our focus in this life is to love God and other people, what do we need to grow in? We need to grow in our ability to love. Not our ability to memorize 16 chapters of Scripture. It's not a bad thing. Pouring Scripture into your life may help you love, but I'm not looking to make a checklist of tasks that means I've grown. Growth will show up in my life when I'm loving God and loving others more. And what Paul does in these two things right here is he lays out the what of that. Paul gives us a what to do and a why to do it. So let's take a step through both of these and kind of work through these two verses and see what God is teaching us here, what Paul is teaching us here. And the first thing he says, the what to do is that you must abound in love. Right? Verse 9 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul uses this unique set of terms of abound and more and more to paint a beautiful picture. The word abound here literally means to capacity, leftovers, filled to the top. It is the idea that you cannot fit any more in. You ever felt that way after dinner? I mean, like, like I, I kind of have this scale. Sometimes I say, oh, I'm full. Right? Like, I don't want to eat anymore. I'm full. But then I choose to sometimes. And then that's what I call I'm stuffed. Right? Like, I I don't, I maybe could, but please don't make me eat anymore. Like, but then somebody sets a cannoli in front of me. Right? And you're like, oh, I've got it. There's a cannoli part of my stomach that I've still got that spot for. And then I eat that cannoli and I hit that next part. And it's not just full and stuffed. At that point, I'm miserable, right? I'm like, I can't. It is up to here. Like, I am done. I remember a couple years ago, uh, one of our intern groups that were here, I would take them out to dinner to, or lunch to different places on Friday, and I took a group down to one of my favorite restaurants uh, down by uh, Union Square called Javelina. It's a Mexican restaurant. It's a great restaurant. They have this dish. Uh, there's some Mexican name for it. I just call it plate of meat. Because literally, they just bring out this tray, and there's like six different kinds of meat on there, and it's just mounded up. They set it, it it looks like, if you're familiar with the scripture, it looks like the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, they bring it out with these little poles, and like, I feel like angels are like, oh, you know, and they set it on your table, and you're like, the meat God has arrived. And like, we were eating this. I remember one of the girls there, there, her name was Christina, and uh, she little skinny girl. She plays soccer, really, and she, she, she couldn't stop eating. She's like, this is the best food I've ever had. She's like, Patrick, I trust you with my life now. This is the best thing I've ever had. And, like, she just could not stop eating. And she quickly went from full to stuffed to miserable. And there was some food left, and I was about to get a to-go thing. She's like, no, no. 
She's like this competitive spirit. She's like, I'm going to finish it. I was like, Christina, you don't have to finish I'm going to do it. And she did. And uh, then we went walking, and I took them to a place for dessert. And she loved German chocolate cake. And I happened to, we went to this bakery that had the best German chocolate cake on 3rd Avenue. And she got a piece. And we were sitting in Madison Square Park. And she took one bite, and she said, this is the worst German chocolate cake I've ever had. Not because it doesn't taste good. Because I can't eat anymore. She literally was stuffed to overflowing. And this is the picture that God is saying here. I want your love in you to abound so much you can't take any more in. It has completely invaded every part of your life. Paul is saying here that God has given you enough love to fill up every need that you have. There is no shortage of supply of love for you. Every way that you need to be loved, God has given. And there is still some left over. That's what it means to abound. It's just that it is so full, it will naturally flow out of you. The love that we give to others, the love that God says to love others with and to love him with, he's actually giving us that love. He's actually giving it to us. And he's given it more than we need. And he say, look, out of the overflow I've given you, love others. And I love what he said. He's not just abound, but what does he say? Abound more and more. This is really a crazy term. The, the best way that we would know how to describe it is like exponential. You don't just have love times two. You have love to the tenth, to the tenth, to the tenth power. That's what he's saying here. It's more than you will ever use. It is an immeasurable and inexhaustible supply of love. And I want to be honest with you. I think one of the reasons that you and I struggle to love God and to love others like we should is because deep down inside, we still think there isn't enough love for me. I'm not quite lovable enough. There's part of me that's unlovable. Part of me that if God really knew, was really exposed to others, they would reject me. I keep this, I think I've got it hidden from God, and if I, if I give away too much love, then there's less for me. I want you to hear me as clear as you can this morning. God loves you. God loves you with a deep, abounding love that goes to the deepest part of who you are. He knows you to your core. There is no morsel of you that has escaped the pouring out of his love. You're full. You're full. You abound more and more. He has loved you with more love and exponential love that you can't contain. It will never run out, and you will never be lacking of God's love. And it's not just that it's overflowing. It's, again, more and more, right? And you and I are to live out this calling, and when we do that, here's the way it plays out. We don't have to generate or manufacture this love. We simply have to be a receptacle of God's love and then be a reflection of it. That's how you love God and love others. God doesn't say, look, I want you to love me, but you've got to figure out how. He basically said, look, I want you to love me, and I'm going to give you enough love to do that with. It's like, if you've ever played cards, it's like playing with house money. Right? You're playing with somebody else's money. You know, even if you feel like you lose it, you give it away, it really didn't cost you anything at that point because God is the source of love. So I want you to hear that this morning. That when he says that I want this love to abound in you more and more, this idea that God has already poured it so much into you that it can't help but overflow. But he says, I want you to do this with all knowledge and 
discernment. Now, knowledge and discernment, again, sound like two great things that I'd love to have. But what are they? They're actually the keys to unlock this treasure of love. And this idea of knowledge here is not tied to study. This is not go study something and get, you know, spend 10 hours. I'm, I'm trying to learn French right now. I'm, uh, I'm trying to add that to who I am. I'm, I've got like five words. Like, so don't, if you know French, don't come speak to me right now. Like, enchanté. That's a, I haven't got them there. Uh, that means enchanted to meet you, by the way. Um, but I'm trying to learn French. And so I'm like listening every day. I'm looking at flashcards online. I'm trying to do that. So I'm having to study. This is not the kind of knowledge that he's talking about here. He's not talking about getting enough knowledge so you can write a paper on love or listen to a lecture on love. The, the word knowledge here is actually better translated precision. Precision. It is the idea that love isn't a concept or an idea. It's an action, a very precise action. It's an intentional, impactful, timely, and thoughtful action. Love isn't a general mood that I have. It's not just me walking through life smiling and happy with everybody. It's not a mood. It isn't just words. It is a precise, intentional interaction in someone's life. A true attitude of abounding love will result in precise actions that interject love into our worship and into our relationships. Don't you hear this? Love is not withholding evil. It's not saying, oh, you know, I love you, so I'm not going to do bad to you. Love is actually interjecting good. That's what love is. It's not just withholding the bad stuff. It's actually being precise and interjecting good. But what about discernment? If that's what knowledge is, discernment here is the idea of being perceptive. He says that Paul says that we need to grow not only in your love, but being perceptive of how to love God and to love others. It's it's this fine-tuning of how we show love. You, You see a way to show love in order to start to flow out of you as this precise and perceptive way to respond. When you open your spiritual eyes daily and you begin to see through these lenses of love, your perception of things will change. Worship of God becomes a part of your everyday life, becomes a part of the fabric of your life. It's not a moment on Sundays. It's not, and when I get in this special environment that I'm able to worship, I just worship. I walk through life and worship happens. My honor and respect for people just naturally begin to flow. I begin to see people and I don't see the differences and the challenges that they may bring my way. I I see ways that I could love them. I don't start to figure out why they're not getting out of my way on the sidewalk and I move out of their way. I just start to see things. This is the what of growing. Grow in love and let it show in the precise way that you respond to perceived opportunities. That's what knowledge and discernment. It was responding in precise ways to perceived opportunities. But now the why. That's the what, then the why. Why do we do this? Why do we need to love God and love people and let this love abound in us? And this is verse 10. It says, do this so that you may approve what is excellent. And again, that sounds nice. Like, I want to approve what's excellent. You'd be excellent. Great. What does this mean? The idea of approve here literally means to give a stamp of approval or to mark something as genuine. You see something, you're like, that is it, 100%. It is completely authenticated is what this word approve means. And the term excellent here, it's kind of a weird translation when you go back and look at the, the origin of the word. It actually means something worth adding to your life. 
that you are proving something that is worth adding to your life. Something that becomes part of you, causes you to excel and experience life better. It's saying that you are letting things into your life that are going to cause your life to become excellent as you add these in. It's like a basic life upgrade. Paul is telling us here that our lives, when they grow in love, we are proving, stamping approval to people that God's love is not only genuine, but it's worth embracing in their lives. Our lives become a living representation of the true character and nature of God. And Paul is also saying here that growing in love will serve as a filter for our life to quickly reveal attitudes and desires that aren't genuine and aren't worth adding. It becomes this filter. This love begins to show up. So we, we begin to have this filter. We can say, okay, this, the way I'm treating this person, I need to stop that. The way I'm viewing God, I need to stop that. I'm only adding what's excellent. And then he ends with this, this idea of pure and blameless. Do this so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but these are two words that I would not often use to describe myself, pure and blameless. Like, I'd love to be that. I'd love to get there, but I'm not. Sometimes I feel dirty and guilty. Sometimes I feel exactly the opposite. And can any of us actually live up to the standard being pure and blameless? And the answer is no, we can't. But Paul doesn't say here that we have to be pure and blameless. He says to grow in being pure and blameless so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of the Lord as we are growing in this. My ability to move toward a pure and blameless life is only found in the depths of God's love and it begins to overflow in me. Now, this word pure, when, when Paul put these two words, pure and blameless, together in the, uh, in the original text, it was actually used to describe a new, smooth road. He was basically saying, look, this is a picture. As, as he was telling this, people would understand. Like, you remember that road from here to there, and it's, it's hard to walk on. It's difficult to get by. It's very challenging. Paul is saying, look, you, but you remember that brand new road that they built from Jerusalem to Ephesus? Like, I love walking on that road. It's clear, it's clean, it's nice, it's smooth. That's what he was saying. This was pure and blameless. Our lives are literally creating a clear pathway for us to connect with God and to connect with others. As we are living out this love for God and love for others, and it's abounding in us, we are removing the stony paths in our life. We are clearing the way to God and clearing the way to one another. So my question to you today is this. Are you making clear paths in your life? Are you moving toward being pure and blameless? Are you letting the love of God so abound in you? You're not holding on to it. You're letting it out in such a way that you're being precise in what you're doing. So let's pray together.